This is Joshua Bell with the Kilt of the Cloth. This is my sermon from August 1st, 2021. I hope you enjoy, and God bless. My sermon this morning take, is taking place from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 24 through 35. I'd like to follow along as I read aloud. It is found in your few Bibles on, the, on 93 in your New Testament section. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they went themselves and got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but the, for the food that endures for eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on Him that God the Father has set His seal. Then they said to Him, What, what must we do to perform the works of God? He answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. So they said to Him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. He said to them, I am. Him, the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. This is an awesome, power, powerful passage of scripture. And, and because it works perfectly on days of installation, it, it works perfectly great in the understanding of what it means to be a leader of the congregation, and not just a leader, but a follower of Christ. So many times what happens is, is we, we find ourselves so burnt out from the world, so, so exhausted from everything that the world has thrown at us, that by the time that God has asked us to do something, we have nothing left to give. We say things like, oh, it's just, I don't have time. Oh, we just, we just, I, I'm, I'm just, you know, just, I just can't be around people right now. And it's true. It's absolutely true. Because it's where we find sustenance is the problem. It's where we find that energy to, to continue to move on and the enthusiasm to be the followers of Jesus Christ. And where we find that sustenance is not fruitful. We leave hungry. We leave thirsty. We just feel exhausted. See, there's this question and answer thing where the crowd offers the, an awkward question. And in the Greek text, it says, when did you come here? But literally, the translation is, when have you been here? 
It's a good question. Like, when did you get here? How, and how, how long have you been here? This, this, this uh, backwards and forwards of this. Theolog- theologically, however, the meaning is much deeper. It is a question of Jesus' origins. Is, let's be honest, it's a favorite theme in the Gospel of John. Theologian Raymond Brown says, the mention of the Son of Man and the bread from heaven would constitute theological answer to how Jesus had come here. Jesus speaks in John's Gospel of eternal life, not so much as a future reality, nor as an endless timeline of life beyond death. Rather, eternal life is a powerful metaphor for living now in the unending presence of God. What are the works of God? He says, performing the works of God in verses 28-30 are, are specific, uh, something measurable act. And then Jesus' response indicates that works in verses 29, that it's the, the works are the faith in God that you find sustenance. I want us to think about, on the, just a side note, what it was like to be a child. Not, not just a child, right? You see, children are beautiful in the aspect of understanding our faith. When they're really little, which I'm terrified with, by the way. You can ask Melanie Cunningham. She asked me to substitute for kindergarten, and I'm like, uh, I am terrified. No, thank you. I, I'm, I'm more afraid of them than they are of me. More, more importantly, I'm afraid I'm going to trip and fall and smash one of them. And, 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 and then I have to explain that to the principal. But more, it, it's, it's something beautiful about working with small children. Because they don't have dividing lines. They get taught those. I, I remember when I was in kindergarten, my favorite thing on the playground was the, the geodesic dome uh, monkey bars. Do you, do you remember those things? I like to refer to them now as the monkey bars of death. They they were solid steel, and and they and they came up inside. You know, the, you were small enough that you could climb inside there, and the teachers couldn't get you. And if you were really athletic, you could climb to the top of these monkey bars, and then you could swing inside and out. The very first time I ever broke something was on the monkey bars of death. I remember watching people knock their teeth out when they flipped off and hit the bar coming down on the way down, or the first time that they scraped their elbow or knee and they hit the ground and everybody's like, oh my goodness, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Get out of my way. i got to get back to the top. And you, you remember what this is like, right? Because when I was growing up, there was this thing about being the king of the mountain, which meant that you were the king of the monkey bars of death. You would knock people off as you were climbing to the top of this monkey bars and you get to the very top and you win all only just long enough for somebody else to pull your leg and knock you off and drop you inside the geodesic monkey bars of death. It was just literally the phrase, the dog eat dog. All the while, we never noticed how hot the bars were or how gross they were or how much metal we got on our clothing that we knew we were going to get in trouble for later. 
But then some ha something happens. We start climbing it. You know, you become the king of the mountain. I will allow anybody on the mountain that doesn't have blonde hair. Why blonde hair? I don't know. I just don't like them today. So nobody with blonde hair was allowed on the monkey bars that day. And then the next day, the new kid, the new king on the mountain, got up on top and says, I don't want anybody with brown hair to be on the monkey bars today. And all of a sudden, slowly as they get older, start to see these distinguishing lines of who's different. Until you become an adult. And those lines are very quickly drawn in the sand. Taking up all the energy, trying to figure out which group you fit in. And how is this supposed to work? And what, what group of people do you actually align yourselves with? And the next thing you know is his, it's not about the monkey bars of death anymore. It's trying to decide who's the king of the mountain. What do you have to do so you can get chosen? See, that doesn't preach well to church. There is no king on the mountain, if you will, here on earth. And it, and it becomes exhausting trying to climb these monkey bars. Trying to find some way to get to the top, realizing that you were all welcome from the very beginning. I, I think for me it, it makes sense because I think on the monkey bars of life, God wants you to know that that place said is big enough for all of us to be on it together. I mean, I want you to really think about this. Do you realize how exhausting it is to draw those lines in the sand of who gets to and who doesn't get to do certain things in the name of God? What's the point then if Jesus says, God loves all of you so much? All of you, all of you that draw breath are children of God and have been found beautiful in that, so much so that Jesus has to scream you can hear it, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus, that is so hard. You're asking me to do something that's exhausting. What if? Just what if? Jesus is explaining the kingdom of heaven as a monkey bar set. And instead of us being knocked over from our challenges and pushed to the ground, what if the body of Christ started to make sure no one fell off? What if when they did fall off, the body of Christ picks them up off the ground and dusts them off and says, are you okay? Let's mend your wounds and let's get back to climbing. What if the body of Christ was big enough and beautiful enough and safe enough that everyone that came onto this place were found to be beautiful in God's eyes and we didn't have time to draw lines in the sand? That's why Jesus gives them this description. I've been here with you from the very beginning, even in kindergarten, Josh, when he used to push the blonde-headed kids off the monkey bars. Let's not even talk about the red-headed. I've been there with you from the very beginning. I knew your breath. I recognized you as a child of God before you were born. And in this place, it makes sense then that we preach this message 
on the day of installation, the day of laying of hands, because you become the ambassadors of Christ's kingdom. You get to be the light in the dark, dark world where everybody's struggling and fighting and trying to knock each other over by drawing the lines in the sand on the monkey bars of death. You preach the monkey bars of life. You get to be the arm that reaches out when someone's hurting. You get to be the healing presence of God and not the distinguishing line between God and humanity. And where do you find that energy to do that? Well, you find it through the bread of life. See, that bread of life that Jesus is talking about is not something that just goes away very quickly. You eat of it once and you're never hungry again. You drink of the cup, you're never thirsty again. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Where no one was ever thirsty or ever hungry again. Yeah, I, I have a problem sometimes with the understanding of a soup kitchen, for example. You see, a soup kitchen is a beautiful and it's, it's an initial aspect. We are feeding the hungry, right? Like we're physically feeding people. And it doesn't, doesn't mean that they don't have any money. It's just they come for a meal. And that, that's what we do, right? But at some point we have to figure out how does that happen? It's like that old adage of those people in the, in the river, right? You see someone drowning and struggling in the water, so you pull them out, make sure they're safe. It takes all the energy you have to save them. And then as soon as you get that one to the shore, somebody else is coming by you in the river, so you jump back in and you pull that one, and eventually you're pulling people out as fast as you can get in and out of the water yourself. At some point, we have to ask ourselves, how are they falling in? But we don't get to worry about that last life Christianity because we're all drowning. We're all struggling. Not one of us in this room is doesn't have any doubts about life or Christianity or our faith or our journeys or the lines that we find that was designed and delineated in our life and existence. And we're exhausted. So we're not providing for you just a quick meal. Our goal our hope as we install and we lay the hands of our staff, of our, our board, of our deacons and our elders. And no, it's not full and it's not extensive and we don't have everybody here, but that's not the point. The point is, is that we're making the effort to provide that bread of life. Because we know what God has created bigger than anything that we've ever imagined. But it comes from a place of love not from a place of vision. So, find yourselves hungry. You find yourselves thirsty. Come to this place, eat, drink of your fill. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen.